and welcome. My name is Tim. I'm Danty Uwu. <laughs> and I'm Murphy Durfee. And this is Go Mode, a Link to the Past randomizer podcast. It's a podcast about a Link to the Past randomizer. Yeah. It, I mean, that it is. is what it is. I just, you know, this might be some people's first episode. You know, they say in podcasting, every episode could be somebody's first episode. And a lot of times we sort of assume continuity. And I just wanted to take a quick second to describe what our podcast is. Does that sound like a fun exercise? Is that something you guys want maybe like to help me out with? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. So back in 1991, this game came out called A Link to the Past. Uh, It's a Zelda game and super fun, a beloved game of history. Uh, so beloved, in fact, we've tried to come up with other ways to experience the game. And one of the ways that uh, some people have thought of to do that is to randomize all of the items in the game and then try to beat it. Um, and uh, somebody else take it away from here. I mean, you took it way far back, but um, <laughs> well, you know me. I mean, I was going to say check description or check pins. But uh, I mean, yeah, with the item randomization... Uh, obviously, it's become, you know, linked to the past. The vanilla game was a speed game, and here we are now uh, racing a puzzle, basically, uh, for lack of better phrasing, because, you know, you do the vanilla game enough times, you know exactly where everything is, and that's where a little bit, a little bit of the excitement is uh, with Randomizer, and that's finding the items and figuring out the logic, since it's all placed with the logic, and I, I still feel like this is episode one, Herfy Derfy. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I was born in 1981, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my first experience with the Nintendo console was the, was the NES with uh, Ice Climbers as a packing game. That's how old I am. It's it's essential that people know the history of Ice Climbers <laughs> before we continue on with this. Of course, speaking, of course. speaking of Ice Climbers um, and the Nintendo console... Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto was born uh, mm. on November 16th, 1952. He is 67 <laughs> years old. And when he was born, he had a dream to make uh, Nintendo great. And uh, he did so with, you know, obviously Zelda and Mario. And, you know, here we are talking about Zelda in 2020. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we do a podcast about that. Yep. So that's pretty much everything you need to know. That that just about covers it. Um do so we need to tell about, about his parents? Is that do we need to go further back? Uh, let's save it for uh, bonus content. Okay. Yeah, that, oh, that'll bummer. be for the Patreon. I was just going to start uh, talking about uh, Stephen Gray in seventeen twenty-seven, you know, <laughs> realizing the difference between what is conductive and what is not conductive, as a precursor to how consoles could even start existing in this world. <laughs> Did you guys maybe want to go back to the 1800s when Nintendo was first formed and maybe talk about, you know, the history of Japan for the last century? You mean uh, the Hanafuda cards that they originally mm-hmm. produced back then? Yeah, sure. Let's yeah, I just want to make sure people are up to speed. <laughs> you know, if this is your first episode, actually, to be transparent, if this is your first episode, I'm sorry. This doesn't make any sense at all. It's <laughs> our, we're not normally like this. Um, normally we're, we're into our news and the, and, you know, a tight three or so, and this is just going on and on. So I apologize for that. Um, you know what? No, I don't, I don't apologize for any of it. I actually, actually had a lot of fun with you all gotta, of that. You gotta have fun when you're doing stupid crap, you know, <laughs> and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's not. And there may be some people 
driving to work right now listening to this kind of staring out the windshield like what is wrong with me why do i listen to these guys but <laughs> what this just is, happened this it's is the sunk uh, cost fallacy yeah right? they're 60 episodes in they're like well i can't stop now oh, yeah boy. i hey i i feel you i i feel that way with other podcasts too i get it <laughs> maybe the least we could do that was talk, talk a little bit about a link to the past randomizer for real and and give these people what they came here to to hear uh, so with that, we'll get into the news. And our headliner this time is Speed Gaming Live 2020, which has begun. So uh, group races were, uh, they started to schedule those on Saturday, November 7th, and they end at the end of the day tomorrow, uh, which is Thursday, if you're listening to this when it comes out. Um, so we have a really great weekend of bracket races coming up. Uh, I, I know I'm going to be watching a ton of of uh, SGL this weekend to see some of these titans of the community uh, tilting. Um, hopefully not tilting. I bet tilting as in like the jousting sense, you know? Like, Are you are you like predicting <laughs> what's going to happen to me? Oh, no, no. Uh, you're going to do great. Um, so the prizes for this Speed Gaming Live tournament, uh, first place gets 40%, which is $930. Second place gets 20%, which is 465 Third and fourth place each get 10%, which is $232 each. And then fifth and uh, fifth through eighth place get 5% of the pool, which is 116 So there's some money on the line. That's always sort of an exciting element to add to these tournaments. That's a pretty good um, payout, I think. Yeah. I mean, for playing rando, I'll, I'll do that for free. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Um, so we do have the groups uh, that we, that we uh, can look at. I mean, honestly, they're all hard groups because, as you remember, we had qualifiers uh, that, that we had to go through. Um, I got to say, get though, the seating. there's one yeah. group that we can get to. It is head and shoulders above the rest as far as the difficulty goes. And all I got to say is I'm glad I'm not in that group. Which one? All right. So group O is, you know, by the time you're listening to this, this is concluded. But I'm so glad I'm not in this group. We have Buane, Act the Boker, Scarlet oh, yeah. Sisters, Freddy, and Korek all in one group together. And it's all best of ones, like round robin. So that's going to be the group to watch because obviously only two people are coming out of that. So that's a lot of big names that are going to get eliminated here in the group stage. And we kind of have that going on everywhere, but that group is head and shoulders, in my opinion, above the rest as far as, like, difficulty. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, that I would have to sure. agree. Yeah, and I mean, I'm scrolling through now, and obviously, you know, like I said, there are, so, like, almost every name here, you know what, scratch that, every name here, they're all superstars. Uh, people that have proven how good they are at this game time and time again. Uh, but that group in particular, I remember scrolling through and being like, whoa, what? how did how did these people all get put together in this group? That's going to be an absolute bloodbath. Um, so, yeah, that uh, is definitely something I'm going to be looking forward to watching. Um, that being brackets, that is. Uh, and there was one other thing that I wanted to bring for us to talk about because it did spark some discussion. Um, and in fact, maybe I'll turn it over to you, Herf, because you probably have, you know, more in, inside knowledge about this. But let's talk about the fair play agreement uh, option that was uh, offered to all of the racers throughout all of the tournaments in SGL earlier uh, last week. Yeah, so uh, I don't really have too much background information on this as far as I know. And uh, I'm, I'm not claiming to be 100 percent sure on this, but as far as I'm aware, this came out of an OOTR tournament that was happening 
a while ago or maybe it's been a standard for them for a while i'm not exactly sure but i think that's where the, the origin of this fair play agreement kind of idea comes from and the sg staff kind of decided on but on their own that this is something that they wanted to offer to everyone or that that's how they wanted to handle you know like situations that could arise that are out of our control as far as you know the difference between it being a, a real life event or an online event because if you have two people sitting you know in, in front of a in front of you on a stage or in a in a tournament room where they're playing you can at least be relatively sure that things should be running smoothly you won't have you know the computer crash or the the internet go out or something so i i think that's where the idea came from um you you have some other points here i don't know if you want to if you want to get to those first before i say anything about what i think about the whole thing mm. Uh, I'll just weigh in real quick and say that I like this as someone who's more casual about the game and just enjoys playing it. It always feels bad to lose because your power goes out. And that's happened to me recently. Mm -hmm. So I can understand how people would be opposed to this because, you know, they want to win. And this just introduces too many opportunities maybe for cheating if somebody was so inclined. But overall, I would say I get it. I like it. I like that it's that it's being used. Yeah. Uh, I I can see it from both sides in a way, as you said. I think at least for me, from from the complaints or the the negative thoughts about it that I've heard or read uh, so far, it's been less about opening an avenue for cheating or abusing it, and more people have been saying. I think one of my friends said something that's probably a very good summation of it all. It's like um, never make someone be a bad guy. You know, because if you start out a race and you have this here, do you look bad if you don't opt into this? Is it fair? Um, it's kind of the same situation where if you don't have this, but the admins aren't the ones who are deciding if a, a rematch should be made or not, you know, that that's always kind of been a point of discussion among players where someone, I don't know, has a power outage. And then yeah. they come back and they're like, oh, I had a power outage. What do we do? And the admins say, well, we'll ask your opponent if they're willing to give you a rematch. On first thought, that sounds pretty fair. You know, it should be up to your opponent in a way if they want to be, you know, be giving you the chance for a rematch on fair yeah. conditions, if they want to win, you know, a real one-on-one. -on -one. Or if they say, ah, oh, nah, you know, tough luck, whatever. Yeah. But... At the same time, as you were saying, or as we have written here, if you're like, no, you won't get a rematch from me because your power went out, you do kind of look like a bad guy. And, you know, I, it's kind of, it's a bit of a peer pressure thing in a way. Totally. I, I like, uh, academically, I understand what you're saying, but then when I think of not opting into it, why does one not? opt into it and i'm not i'm not casting judgment there at all mm -hmm. i i legitimately want to know what are some reasons maybe that somebody would not opt into this yeah that's a good question i don't know i mean i can I, give you I, a I good mean, reason go ahead dante i you you could totally forget like i did and i just had to opt into it now because i wanted to um but <laughs> I, I i totally forgot about it so i mean honestly that's one legitimate reason you know to opt into the or to for you know not opt into it because it was something that was put together probably after you've already submitted the form and then you have to resubmit a form again yeah and it's not so much 
Like, I, I'm not complaining about having to submit a form, but the fact that <clears throat> it was changed, uh, it, it may make people, I guess, confused, I guess, is yeah. a way of putting it. So, honestly, well, it's, it's easy to miss a ping every now and then, yeah. you know? Yeah, and we've, we've that, talked about that. that. That was definitely, just to cut in real quick, that was definitely very unfortunate that it, you know, was put in there after the fact and everyone was like, well... I already filled this out and now I have to fill it out again. And it was just kind of, you know, it felt very shoehorned in. And maybe that's another reason why people felt kind of pressured in a way about it. Because, you know, it, everything seemed to be set up and suddenly this thing comes around the corner and everyone's like, hmm, well, well, what's this about? Yeah, yeah. like my, my thought with this and the, the whole scenario is who doesn't love a free win, right? Like, you know, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. Like with, with money on the line, who doesn't love a free win? But at the same time, if you have any form of conscience or like, what if it was me? Like you, you spin it around where you're that person. Then it's like, okay, could, you know, could I do something about this? I get, I get why it's there. Uh, but I'll, I'll use this as an example. And I know I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but with the league, we've had some issues uh, very minor, and I say minor, but we've had some issues with players not sticking to the rules on a couple of things. And then we had to, you know, we had to hand out like a DNF or a DQ on a couple of situations, and we had to be the bad guy. And we discussed how did we want to do it. And to what Herf was saying, we took it out of the player to be like, hey, so here's the situation. Do you want to do this or do you want to do that? How do you want to handle it? We just said no. We're going to handle it as administrators. This is exactly what we said. This is what happened. Therefore, we're going to hand out the DQ, basically. So, yeah. and as like brutal and tyrannical as that could be, I, I think it's smoother and it makes a player feel less grimy if they take the win, you know, because we've seen in ladder, we are, you know, like there's a rule that if you don't, show your credits to the completion collection screen, you can appeal that. And I'm yeah. sure someone has appealed for that and got a race overturned. And if they have, then, I mean, you're you're doing the rules to the letter. And does it feel great? Not really, but at the same time, you can't blame them. So that that's different with the players, but because it's not like the exact administrators are reviewing VODs, but, you know, I digress. Uh, it it takes it out of the player's hands a little bit, I think. It's just kind of weird that it got stuck in at the last second. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's exactly the problem. And to come back to your point, Tim, why would you not opt into that? I agree from, like, a, I don't know, let's call it, like, from a compassion standpoint. There's no yeah. real reason to not opt into it because, as you said, why wouldn't you be as friendly as that? But I think it's less about that and it's more about, you know, not burdening the players with making that decision it should be according to some people not necessarily to me but it should be that you know say for a power outage it says you have about 15 minutes or something like that uh, to come back yeah that's the maximum like yeah time and it should you know that shouldn't be a thing where the player's like all right i accept that it should be if it happens an admin should step in and should be like all right let's give him x minutes to come back and if he doesn't then we'll unfortunately have to dq him and then the player can just wait it out you know and have a clear idea of what's happening and not feel pressured into 
you know, being like, well, no, I opted out of this. So as soon as your power goes out for a minute, I win. But on the other hand, if I opt into it and your power goes out for 15 minutes and then you suddenly come back, everything's a-okay, but I'm the one who has to decide that. I mean, I, I, will I, s- I do like yeah, that go ahead. it's got a, a time limit there. Because yeah, that's a good thing, for sure. Be- because if an admin stepped in and said X amount of minutes, unless it was a predetermined amount, like the document says, mm-hmm. then there could be an argument of, well, you know, this administrator gave this person eight minutes or ten minutes and called it, you know, forfeit, you know, at that point. No, and I agree it, with that. It, yeah, it, so, so I don't mean to cut you off. I'm, I I just said X because I don't know if 15 minutes is a fair yeah, amount yeah. or not, but it should definitely be one set amount of things. Like there should be rules, but they shouldn't be in the players. Like it shouldn't be the player's burden to be like, yes, I do want to be a nice guy or not. It should just be an admin coming in and, you know, just judging on a situational basis is kind of my point, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, we didn't opt into this at, you know, 2019, but it was mm-hmm. in person. So it was kind of like they they told us back then, if you had a problem, you flag down like <clears throat> a tournament proctor or whatever. Yeah, and we you, had, you get them. That was one example after after everything was posted. So maybe to give some some actual background information, I'm not sure how much of this I should be saying, but whatever. Uh, after this was posted and there was a little, not really backlash, but like some discussion about it and how it was worded. Um, Fiesel read through it again and said, yeah, he can see how it is worded in a way where it puts the burden or on the player or where it makes the player or the opponent out to be sort of a bad guy. So Yeah, just the name alone, yeah. you know, honestly, is, is what I saw some people kind of bucking against was like, okay, so mm-hmm. if I don't opt into the fair play agreement, then I'm not a fair player. Yeah. And I, I, I get that, you know? So yeah, if you don't it, opt it, into this, the racing council is obviously going to be investigating. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding. <laughs> so that was definitely acknowledged. And uh, at the same thing, what, what you just mentioned, Dante, about last year, uh, Cynic brought up an example because they were asking, or SG and us were talking about, you know, how is it being handled in the different communities? And Cynic was uh, naming an example from last year where someone who shall not be named uh, accidentally turned off a whole like power strip and turned off like a whole row of TVs and consoles where like two or four other people were playing. (laughs) Yep. And everyone's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Damn. So we had sort of an FPA, a fair players agreement there. And that Cynic, who was the proctor at the time or the admin at that time, said, okay, listen. I let your opponent get back to where he was when the power outage happened, and then I'll count you guys down again, and then you continue playing. And that was the only example, and it was kind of, you know, born out of necessity and out of uh, a crappy situation that happened that nobody really planned for. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I suppose they kind of took that as, yeah, I guess, you know, the ALTTPR community at large will probably be okay with that. Yeah. So interesting, yeah. There's, I feel like we could we could talk even more about this. We <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. We probably should move on. Um, the last thing that I wanted to mention about Speed Gaming Live is the marathon. It is a secondary uh, kind of aspect of the live element. You know, where you have the tournaments going on in in these two rooms, and then there's a marathon that goes on, uh, not unlike a GDQ. You know, uh, day and night while the while the rest of the tournament is happening. 
So there are a couple things on there I just wanted to shout out real quick. Uh, opening up the marathon uh, tomorrow, Thursday, November 12th at noon uh, EST, Matt Cap uh, is going to be speedrunning Zelda Ancient Stone Tablets. Uh, that is that like weird Super Famicom version mm-hmm. of Link to the Past. It was like an online service in Japan for, for a few months. Um, is, is going to be speedrunning that. I think that should be very interesting, so look out for that. There's also going to be a 100% NMG run by S. Diesel uh, Friday, November 13th at 3.45 a.m., so maybe you want to catch the VOD if you can't stay up that late if you're uh, in America. Uh, and then at 2.15 EST that same day, Friday, um, Last last Sin Committed will be running BS Legend of Zelda Third Quest Map 1 100%, and I'll be honest, I don't even know what that is. But it sounds cool. It's on Super Famicom as well, so it sounds like something <laughs> obscure and uh, could could be fun. We'll have the link in the uh, description, of course. So um, check this out, and uh, yeah, it should be a, a fun weekend of all kinds of speed gaming in store for us coming up. Oh, Any yeah. final thoughts? I do want to. I know we do shout outs at the end, but it, since we're talking about the the marathon, I do have an IRL friend who's actually got a uh, a run in the uh the marathon my friend marforia she's gonna be running resident evil 7 i know that doesn't really apply to us but you know um that's gonna be on the 13th at uh 6 p.m or 605 p.m is the scheduled time in eastern so i'll be looking forward to checking that out and supporting her on that nice very cool the only time i've ever seen resident evil 7 was as a speed run so that's that's the only way i know the game Oh, really yeah oh you kind of missed out you should play that at some point yeah, yeah. I, I have a story <laughs> about that that I will share with you at another time about Resident <laughs> Evil 7, but it, it doesn't it, it would be long and does not apply to this. More bonus content. We're just filling up that uh, Patreon feed today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do not have a Patreon in case anyone's confused. Uh moving on, uh let's talk about ALTTPR League season 3. Uh we are now um in our fourth week, which is pilot week. So how have things been going so far? Let's just take a quick peek into the standings. Right off the bat, I got to shout out our good friend and co-host, Dante, of the 2019 Titans Mits of 2019, currently undefeated in your Light World Conference Kakariko division. Uh, and I've had a chance to watch a few of Dante's races, and y'all are on fire, looking real good. We are for the moment. Um you know, we, we talk. We're talking like it's Wednesday, but there is still one match that is going to be played after we do our recording. So we could be five and one, or six and zero, oh, uh, or could have a tie somehow. But um, you know, we'll we'll see how things go today. Eddie and will be playing uh, Airy or Airy Roar, and that's going to mm-hmm. be. A really tough match. Aerie's a great player, but uh, you know, Eddie's also pretty good. We'll see how how it all shakes out. This is why we play Rando, right? Yeah, Ari, of course, our professor of bosses here at GMP Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but regardless, I should also mention uh, Pug Trio is currently tied with 15 points, and they have played all six, and they're five and one. Uh, so they're uh, worst case, you know, even if you guys do end up taking the loss in week three, you'll still be tied for first place. And and my comment stands, uh, Dante, I know I said it recently already, but like, you're so good at this game <laughs> and we really take that for granted. But like, even just your motion around the rooms, like you look like an NMG player and it's, uh, it's, you know. Don't We're say that. Most, <laughs> most NMG players don't do very well with rando. So <laughs> uh. yeah, 
I guess I mean to say, like, if every rando seed was an NMG, you know, and like you had to, like, it just looks like you've optimized every room. I don't know. It's just like, it's good stuff, man. I definitely have it, but thank you for the compliment. I'm terrible <laughs> at taking compliments, so I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I hear you. I can relate. Um, I did want to give a shout out just because we mentioned it uh, in another episode not too long ago. They did update their website so that whenever you hover over the team name, a little pop-up window comes up and shows the three people on the team, which is like so convenient mm-hmm. for us when we're having to, you know, shout check these on a regular Sigma. basis. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Very good. Very cool. Yeah, that so that was awesome. Um, I'm happy to report that the long shots, my team, uh, along with Tyler Salt and Arusta, we have picked up our first and our second wins. Uh, so, yes, thank you. Very happy about that. I went up against uh, DJ Darkwing D, who was a mentee in the mentor tournament. And uh, I also shouted them out not too long ago for qualifying for STL or replacing highly in the STL qualifiers. Uh, and I was definitely scared going up against them. And uh, I'll link the seed in the description, but it was super linear. We both did like the exact same things with just like small differences and um, ended up coming out on top. But it was a hell of a race and huge shout outs to DJ Darkwing D. Uh, and then week three is just open uh, seed. And I went up against um, or sorry, that's week two was the open one. Week three was casual boots. I went up against another listener of the show, Diesel Martini. And uh, was able to, to win at that one, too. And that was another great race. So shout outs to them. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, we we talked about it a lot when the league started. And we asked people what they liked about it. And most people said they really liked the team element and cheering on their teammates and having more of a vested interest in matches that they watch and practicing together and improving. And I definitely have been feeling that the last couple of weeks. You know, I love having a team, being on a team and feeling like when I win, it's not just for me, it's, it's for us. And also cheering on my teammates has been a ton of fun. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. It's I'm, I'm having a good time. But up, 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 up. So pilot week, of course, as I mentioned uh, this week ongoing, uh, Dante, what are, what are your guys's, can you share any insights or do you have to, do you have to keep your cards close to your chest? Nah, so that- I, I mean, it's, it's set up where Edium's going to pilot Nep and myself. Uh, Edium's really good. I think at, you know, developing a route, even though it's as stressful as it is. Uh, but our, our opponents, you know, I mean, we're playing Komodo Hypers, so, yeah, you know, we could play perfect and still lose, uh, mm-hmm. to be honest. So, um, we, you know, I feel like we make one or two mistakes, that's probably GG. Uh, just, mm-hmm. you know, un- unless Kyong manages to, like, you know, reset his console again or something in a spoiler <laughs> tournament. Um, Shout-outs to the spoiler finals, sadly, but... Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, if we could, you know, like I've said every week, if we could split and get a 1-1, that would be great. You know, that's kind of how, you know, if you walk away with a 1-1, you can't feel defeated in the Invitational League. You just kind of have to be like, okay, well, we broke even and we'll move on to the next week. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we are. Uh, we also have an all-time pilot in Arusta. I know I mentioned I might try it, but it's he started practicing it. And then it was like, you you do this, you go with it. Because the even just the thought of like dissecting that, knowing there's a time limit on it, like that stresses me out even just thinking about it. So I'm really happy we had, you know, that, that he stepped up. And I think he's, we've done one practice. I thought he did a great job communicating info, um, not making me do anything that was too hard, uh, you know, asking me questions before having me march into certain, you know, 
dark rooms and things like that. So I'm I'm looking forward to uh, seeing seeing how it shakes out. And and as a nice kind of added benefit, you know, as the sort of non-pilot that myself and Tyler saw, we kind of become like low percent runners. So now I'm practicing things I never would have cared about before. The other thing is it's key sanity. So like I'm practicing hammer yump now, which I always assumed was just Ooh. like this kind of thing I wouldn't really need to worry about. But now it turns out I need to worry about it quite a bit because it could save us having to get a pod key if I can learn it. So um, even just that alone is kind of worth it, you know, to have an excuse to try some of these more advanced techniques. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a good learning tool, but yeah. so Herf, how do you feel about, uh, the league so far as a bystander <laughs> uh yeah pretty cool i guess <laughs> it's pretty cool uh, i had I to mean, put him on the spot you know uh, everyone still suffering from the horrible team name curse other than that I don't and we really can't change mid say. you know we can't change mid-season what do you mean no you yours can't? was one of the good ones he said really right? did i oh wow no, oh, I wow. I mean, I don't. <laughs> we, we just changed it up to be stupid. So, I mean. I know. That's what half of these are. And I'm, you know, I don't really care either way. I'm, I'm not that invested in team names. I thought you would get a lot more backlash for your comments in the last episode. Really? You pretty much remained unscathed. I know. Nah, I mean, there were some people who were complaining about it on the Discord. I think we've yeah. learned that everyone just loves Herpy Derpy, and <laughs> he could probably say anything, and they'd be like, you know what? That's a valid opinion. Yeah, and I that's think it's right. Just, you know, just how we can, you know. But anyway, I'm gonna be tipped now. Moving on. Uh, so, festive randomizer. Uh, did you guys get to play it? I did. I did I, too. I started one, but I didn't finish it. How far did you get? I don't know, like half an hour in. Oh, okay. Well, I guess you didn't get to do some of the cool stuff. No, Tim, I how, how did uh, how did you feel about it so far? Like, have you played yeah. just one or? I I played one. Yeah, there was a uh, um, actually a daily where they were doing it. It was you know nine o'clock. I think last Friday, and there was a group of us also, and there was a couple of us in voice chat, uh, kind of you know sharing some of our vague general thoughts and, and feelings while we were playing. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Do you want to get into the you know specifics of it and like what was changed? Yeah, I guess how many we got to skip ahead x amount of minutes. Yeah, so Tuesday Temple will uh, dip in right here and fill the sentence in for me. Skip ahead to 14 minutes and 10 seconds. If you want to avoid spoilers for this, and you definitely should if you haven't played it. All right. So, uh, yeah, a lot of it was similar, and that definitely makes sense. You know, you want to reuse assets, uh, the costumes for the enemies, for instance, and the, a lot of the music. Although I think I heard a couple of new tracks. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there, for this one, like, the later you got into the game, the more it changed, which kept me playing and, and pushing to the end because I heard that was going to be the case. Um, but yeah, things got pretty crazy as you got near the end. And I'm going to just start with what I probably my favorite part, which is the very end of the seed, which is the Ganon fight, which I don't know how they did this, but they turned it into an Undertale boss fight where <laughs> you're a little heart and Ganon is at the top of the screen and it looks just like Undertale and it has the same attack system. You can't um, talk. Unfortunately, you can only fight. Uh, you have to take the genocide route. But uh, yeah, it was super fun. It took me a couple tries. Uh, I died a couple times, but 
I don't know how they did that, but it was super cool. I was I was loving it when it happened. That was probably my my favorite change. That was the biggest uh, like I guess surprise. Like, ooh, this is kind of cool, and I instantly thought like you. I wonder how they did this. Um, the other thing was the uh, the now I've heard in that Ganon fight since we're on that subject that there is a way to get a pacifist ending. And I'm not... Oh, really? I'm not 100% sure. I've been reading the discords, trying to read through spoilers to figure it out. You have to have silvers, and I think it's something like you have to get through a bunch of text boxes, but I don't know if it's constantly showing mercy or doing actions, but... Maybe just doing nothing? Maybe, maybe yeah. I, I, I don't know if they... Um, I don't know if it's just kind of like they put that there and it's not really a thing, but... I heard that it was. So I'm at some point I'm going to try and do it. Uh, I'll have to, you know, confirm maybe like I've generated a few seeds and I don't know when I'll get to play them. I don't don't know how long it's going to be up on the site, but you know, I'll figure something out. But I will say that on the topic of changes, uh, I laughed so hard at the changes in swamp ice and Hera. (laughs) yeah because i set up for icebreaker and i was like oh okay you guys suck and then i did Hera, and i was like i hate you so much like (laughs) like i just did the thing and i warped back to the bottom uh and then when i got into swamp i mean there's there's no denying it you just look and then there's i knew even before i saw it i knew what they were what was happening yeah so basically they made tiny little changes to those three you know areas that rendered the these new glitches that have been discovered icebreaker diver down and heropod uh undoable but uh yeah like it wasn't until you walked into that you know eastern room in ice palace where you see that it's laid out differently and you're like Oh, because like everything else in the dungeon is exactly the same. There were very few changes like that. Like I remember last year, there was a tiny change to every single dungeon to kind of throw you off. That It wasn't like that. It was just these spots. So it really uh, it came as a, a big surprise. It was I loved it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That was, that was definitely the best part for me as well. Just walking in there and then, you know, at first you're like, what, what am I even looking at here? You're just so surprised to see something completely different or even in the case of swamp it's just such a small difference you're looking at it and you're like something's wrong here and then it suddenly starts to dawn on you that they put a second railing behind the first one just so you can't clip into it anymore (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah so there was another huge change uh so uh okay real quick i want to back up so festive randomizers we have two of them a year typically and they've come out like clockwork the last three years if i'm not mistaken uh, so just calling it a festive randomizer doesn't really like describe it very well. So we kind of need names for them. And I was thinking a good name for this one would be Witch's Brew. I just think it makes sense. Uh, because basically what you're doing is instead of collecting crystals, you go around and collect parts from the bosses to make a potion uh, that you, you know, you take all these parts to the witch's hut and she makes you a potion or you give her an empty bottle. And then you go up to where Ganon's tower usually is. And it's just an empty field. You chug that potion and suddenly you're transported into the new Ganon's tower for this festive. So witch's brew, I don't know, it's thrown out there. We should name these. Uh, probably not me. Someone should name these, I think. And so they're not just all festive every time. Um, <laughs> But this this final dungeon, uh, you know, you you get warped into Ganon's tower and it looks completely different. 
I couldn't figure out if it was randomized or if it was a, a nod to something or if it was just the developers creating a whole new dungeon as if they were doing like Zelda Dungeon Maker out of scratch. Do you guys have any info on this? I know that one of the big things in this was they gave a nod to the newly updated door randomizer. Because I that's saw that. That's why, you know, you start teleporting around and such. Uh, I don't know if, since I've only played one seed, I can't guarantee whether or not anything about that dungeon is randomized from seed to seed. But, you know, I mean, they just kind of made a puzzle that I don't think is that hard, honestly. Like, it, it's not as fast as knowing your dungeons and getting through them, you know, but it's, it's festive. You gotta, you know, you gotta kind of learn as you go, I guess. Yeah. I liked it. I mean, it was basically like new Zelda content, you know? Um, yeah, there was one puzzle that was kind of hard where there were four torches spread across three rooms and you had to tank damage, um, or at least as far as I could tell you, like, cause you're, you're walking on a spike path, uh, which normally you think like, okay, invincibility item, no big deal. But then there's a torch that you'd have to hit with the fire rod. So it's like, you can't have both those items. So you've got to take some damage. Um, and it took a minute to figure out that you needed to do all three of those torches spread across three rooms to get into the, to the door, which then had like the big key behind it, I think, for, for me. Um, that was it felt like it was a it didn't feel like it was a fully like random setup, except for that one door rando aspect. I mean, that was hard, though. I mean, I knew that torch. I mean, I say that uh, as, as a kind of a joking jab at you. But like when I saw the torch behind that Bemos, I was like, OK, there's going to be something with torches. And then when you poke your head through that door and to the spike room and you see multiple torches, it's kind of like, all right, well, I guess I'm well, okay. I mean, off to the to your point, I figured it out. (laughs) Like I I got through (laughs) it, but I started, I I lit both of those torches in the room and nothing happened. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's not it. And then I went back a room and I was like, oh, I guess I have to do this one too. And I lit that. So I had three torches lit and I was like, what the hell? Nothing happened. And then I had to go back uh, to the, last room and then light all four of them so it's not like it was a stumper necessarily just that like i didn't do it right and it took a long time uh, okay you know? okay that makes more yeah. sense yeah but uh it was cool you know it was cool they put that whole dungeon together that was fun uh there were uh some other smaller things that i noticed oh there was one other big thing actually i wanted to mention apparently they put a secret hidden area somewhere where you could only get to it if you did an out of bounds glitch in the right place Mm-hmm. Did either of you see that? I've seen it, but I haven't tried it because I'm not really good at the glitch puzzles. Um, just because I'm not as adept in glitches, you know, as other people. Like especially mm-hmm. like underworld clipping and stuff like that. But I know how to get there, but I haven't done it. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Do you want to spoil like what's there? Uh, well, I mean, what's there is a glitch puzzle. I mean, I don't think uh, last I checked, no one had completed it yet. So oh, okay. the puzzle's not finished, but uh, it may be by now. That was, I, I'll admit, that was earlier in the week. So mm-hmm. um, I, I would say if you're really interested in that, the best place to find info is on the main Discord in either the festive or the glitch channels, and you're going to be reading through spoilers that way. Um, they, they've been talking about it a lot. Uh, you can find, I don't, I don't think it's pinned or anything, but there is a way there that tells you how to do the glitch um, that basically warps you into the uh, the new area with the puzzle itself. But um, I was told that this puzzle is actually pretty pretty tough. 
Hmm. That's that's neat. Okay. Well, you know, that could actually be a good transition into our GMP community updates. So we have uh, kind of a big announcement, I guess you could say. We're, we're really kind of mixing it up. Hmm? I said it's big. It's pretty big. It's a pretty big announcement. <laughs> so we have decided to sponsor an Overworld Glitches Mentor Tournament. So let me explain kind of what, what all that means. Uh, it's, it is exactly what it sounds like. You know, we want to have a tournament in which... People enter and they uh, are racing overworld glitches logic seeds, but they have a mentor guiding them through how to pull off the glitches, routing through the, you know, kind of a strange logic that might be unfamiliar to vanilla, you know, ALTTPR players. So um, this all came about because there was some chatter in our Discord after the exhibition race that we hosted of, you know, what would this look like if it did uh, happen theoretically? And uh, there was a member of our community named Malmo who was kind of heading up that conversation. Espion was also very involved in, and, and a few others as well. And I apologize if you were in there and I didn't mention your name. But uh, we decided, you know, the next morning to take a look at that and say, you know, what would this look like? So as hosts, we kind of talked about it a little bit and decided that, it, first of all, we knew it was something that none of us had time to, like, fully commit and make happen ourselves but that we liked the idea of it. And if we could find the right people who would kind of, you know, step up and run the day to day and the daily of it, then we we would go ahead and kind of give them a home to do that. Um, you know, our Discord will create channels in our Discord. Uh, we'll restream matches on our Twitch channel. Um, you know, all that good stuff. We're talking about it here on the show, you know, all that good stuff. So we're kind of the sponsors of this tournament. Uh, but uh, we asked Malmo if they would be sort of a co-admin with myself. Uh, and she accepted. So we've been working on putting together all the documents and whatnot. We also uh, reached out to Orange and Michael K, which were her first two choices, and both of them graciously accepted to help us out. So we got a full team put together. We've also got, of course, Dante and Herf here, and the Mentor Tournament 2020 slash Discord admins are also in on the planning, not as involved in putting it together, but available to provide advice since they just kind of went through this. Um, so I'm going to go through a few details about registration, uh, but I do want to say the full, uh, notes are in the episode description that Malmo and I have put together, mostly Malmo. Uh, so click on that, uh, if you're interested in the full specifics, but here's just like the basics. So registration is opening when this episode comes out. Um, and there are going to be some light sort of minimum skill requirements in terms of rando, since we're kind of teaching like rando 201. There's also a skill ceiling. So, you know, Dante, I think, is a perfect example of this because Dante said he wants to be in it, but Dante would absolutely crush everybody if he was in it. He's too good for this tournament. It's a mentor tournament designed to, like, you know, make you better at the game. So we're kind of looking for that, you know, in-between sort of skill of, you know, you know where the dungeons are and, and what basic uh, logic is, but you you can't get through an OWGC probably by yourself just yet. Um so yeah, that's kind of what we're looking for there. Dancy, I'm sorry, was that harsh? Was that? It wasn't too harsh. No, it was. Okay. It was pretty accurate. I I just need to learn how to do the Death Mountain skydiving or whatever it's called because I, I want to learn that because it looks funny. But other than that, <laughs> I, I get why you guys are gatekeeping me out. <laughs> yeah, 
No hard feelings. So when you register for this, we're doing it a little differently than other tournaments, but I'm excited to see how this plays out, and I think it makes a lot of sense. So if you fill out a registration form, that doesn't 100% mean like you are in the tournament, although you probably have a pretty good shot. What it means is you are entered into, we're going to have a week of like practice activities, like master classes and lessons and practice races and things like that so that we can get mentors together and they can teach multiple people at multiple times, you know, a lot of different things about the rando and people can ask questions like how do you do this glitch what needs to be done here etc um and then you'll also be automatically entered into week one so everyone who registers gets into week one you know we don't know exactly how many people that's going to be it could be quite a few uh, but the idea is after week one, once everyone has had a chance to get one race in, you'll have an opportunity to like peace out at that point. And that's totally okay if you do. Uh, we understand, you know, after four to eight weeks of this, you might decide it's not something you want to do once a week. Uh, and the idea is with everyone who's left after some people have decided not to continue on with it, we will do a lottery and take 16 people. So it's going to be a small tournament. Uh, just 16 people. And of course, the reason is when it comes to mentors for this, they're limited. There's only, you know, a handful, maybe a dozen people in the community who uh, I think, you know, we can count on to reliably step up and mentor a lot of these matches. So and we definitely don't want to have another like Wal Walter the Fourth situation where, you know, suddenly stepping up mentoring, you know, as a full time job, basically for people. <laughs> so so we're keeping it small, 16 racers. It's going to be a lottery, totally random. Uh, of the people who decide they want to continue on after week one. Then we'll have another three weeks of Swiss and then a break for holidays. And then we'll get into brackets in January and we will be wrapped up uh, in early February, just in time for the main tournament. Um, and that is our plan. So just kind of a small two-month tournament. Should be a ton of fun to watch. We're going to be restreaming a bunch of races. If you are interested in participating, go ahead and register. Of course, we're going to need racers. But also, if you're more experienced and you want to, you know, get people involved in your favorite mode, you know, if you are someone who enjoys, you know, major glitches and overworld, overworld logic or overworld glitches logic, then uh, consider being a mentor. And we're also going to need commentators, too. So those are kind of the three main roles we're looking to fill here. Um, I don't want to get too into the weeds here. We'll we'll leave it at that. Uh, but we're very excited to get this started. And uh, we'll, of course, be covering it. And uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's pretty much it for that. Any any uh, thoughts on this before we talk about our BWS? I'm, I think main, you I'm really curious how everything's going to work out. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm just curious how, you know... How accepting, I guess, people will be of the whole OWG thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely foreign to me. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to watching more of these races. And of course, by being involved, you know, as an admin, um, just like hopefully absorbing more OWG knowledge myself. Because it's fun. It's cool. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, speaking of the BWS, let's uh, talk about those. Episode 59, we had the casual boots because uh, we wanted to mimic that for League. Uh, between my races and practice, I I wasn't able to get to this BWS, unfortunately. Um, either of you? Nope. Uh, I unfortunately did not. I was going to, and then uh, in prep for the week, and I uh, I clicked the spoiler channel, and I was like, eh, it'd be, it wouldn't be fair to play it, so I, I didn't. Uh, I, I, I have a bad habit of that, and I've got it muted, too, and it was a completely misclick on my part, mm -hmm. but... Either way, I didn't feel like it would be fair to play it, so I didn't. Yeah, I've definitely done that. I wonder, do people 
feel bad when we don't play him? Do people even care if we don't play him? I, I don't know. I'm always like <laughs> feeling bad, but maybe I shouldn't be feeling bad. I don't know. Um, anyway, what do you guys want to do for 60? I couldn't really think of anything. You know, we're talking about the randomizer today for our feature and pretty much anything we roll is going to have a direct relation to that, of course. So, well, what do you guys think? I think unless Herf has an idea, I have an idea that we could do. I'm, I'm curious. So, and we've kind of had a theme going on. Now, keep in mind, we talked about League. Uh, League is going to have a break while Speed Gaming Live is going on. So the week that you're listening to this episode, there is no League matches going on. Um, But shortly after that, uh, we're going to be playing. It's kind of hard to do a BWS with the Key Sanity spoiler. But we can do Mystery. And we can do the League weights for Mystery. So... We're going to play Mystery, and I'll probably oh. end up actually playing this one. That's fun. Yeah, I love a good Mystery. League Weights, just so everyone, uh, in case you don't remember or didn't know, are a little more forgiving than standard, like, normal weights for, for Mystery Seeds. So if you're hesitant because you don't want to get Entrance, there is a chance the Entrance to show up, but I think it's lower than your normal chance, if, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Uh, with the weights, there are weights and there are, then there are subweights. So it's going to roll between like entrance or non-entrance. And then from there, it will determine different mystery portions of what can be randomized within the entrance stuff. Like if, if it is entrance and then if it's just non-entrance, like what'll be randomized. Interesting. Um, you could have stuff like, I think if the, if I remember reading the weights correctly, you could have like starting flutes, starting boots. That's all non-entrance stuff. Like that's a big indicator if you see that you have a starting flute or a starting boots, then you know for sure you do not have entrance at that point. So that's an indicator on your like file selects or file creation screen. So those are little like mind hacks to keep in mind when you're starting up just to kind of get an idea of what's going on. There's another mm. thing that I learned last night in the ladder uh, after my race started. So... If you watch the opening cutscene, uh, inside of that, there for mystery there are two, um, for lack of better, like two phrases. One of them mm-hmm. is going to say you have to collect seven crystals to defeat Ganon, and if it says that, uh, and at least this is how it works with ladder. I'm not sure if it's going to work this way with league, but I think it does. If it says seven crystals, it is either entrance or it is inverted. And then if it says enough crystals, then uh, it is going to be non-entrance and it's going to be like open or something along those lines. So that's another little hack you can, not not like a hack, but a thing you can keep an eye out for to see. Um, Shout outs to Hitzian and uh, Zelga for clarifying that with me. But um, but yeah, those are things you can look for and we'll, we'll see how this mystery one goes <laughs> yeah we'll we'll roll one of those up and that's that's really interesting I, I like that uh sleuthing a lot i would not have expected those answers either yeah <laughs> that, it's that it's really it's really weird like i, I had no idea like hitzian was talking about it in the the pre-race thing on ladder last night and he was like trying to get clarification i was like i have no idea and then mm-hmm. apparently he found out and then told us and then after we got going and i knew what my mode was Zelga clarified for me in chat, like, yeah, what Hitzian said was correct. Like, that yeah. is how it all works. That's very cool. 
Good to know. All right, let's get into our feature, which is going to be examining the randomizer. Um, hell, it's bird time. All right, so what we're going to be talking about today is the difference between ALTTP and ALTTPR, and that is the R, which is the randomizer. So, so I think a lot of people are curious about the randomizer itself and how it works, because when you say, okay, yeah, you take the items and you just switch them all around, that is like, it sounds like, okay, it's like, oh yeah, okay, great. And then if you think about it for a second, you start to be like, okay, well, when you, you know, the, the seed still needs to be beatable, right? So the different items must have different rules about where they can and can't be because of that. So it starts to get more complex the more you think about the puzzle of how you would go about, you know, actually switching around these items. And it turns out there are very specific rules that are very much accessible by just looking at the code itself and, and learning a lot of this stuff. Um, and with that said, I want to stop to thank three particular people um, for helping us with this episode. Um, the first one is Fantalis, who is the author of sort of a uh, paper. I don't know what you want to call it exactly, but it's a document that we'll link in the description. It was written several years ago talking about V29, and it's called How to Read the Logic um, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the RNG. Uh, so it's it's a great document. People reference it all the time in the community, especially after it first came out. There was a lot of mention of it. Um, we've even linked it in the description of an episode on this show in like single digit episodes before. So it's been around for a long time. Um, uh, and there was fear maybe that it might be outdated. But uh, the other two people I want to thank are Synac and Vtorp. I asked Synac who I should talk to to research this episode. He pointed me towards Vtorp. And when I spoke to Vtorp, he said, yeah, it is old, but a lot of it still uh, is is applicable, so it makes sense to use to talk about the episode. And then Vtorp also pointed us towards two specific files in the GitHub that contains the randomizer code, and you know invited us to kind of look through that to uh, help inter you know interpret what's happening with the randomizer and what we call the item fill, which is what you know goes through and puts all of the items in the chest, and of course has very specific rules of what can and can't go in certain places as it goes. So that's what we're going to talk about today is that item fill, uh, the process by which a randomizer seed is randomized. And then most importantly, uh, we'll talk about you know what this means for you as someone who's running a randomizer seed and how you can use this information to help you make better choices when you have multiple things you can do in a seed. So I, I did my due diligence trying to research for this one, but we're talking about reading code and I, that's not, it is something I do a little bit for a living, but it's all, you know, I'm not a developer. Let's just say that. So I'm going to probably have my co-host speak a little bit more, go off of our, our outline here. I might, you know, bust in to ask some questions or clarify the little few things that I do know here. But I'm kind of hoping to learn just as much as as anyone else uh, listening to this episode. So with that, um, Herf did a lot of uh, good work putting together some notes for this episode. So I want to turn it over to you, Herf, and wherever you want to kind of dive into this, um, take it away. Yeah, so um, I, I looked through the two files that Vtorp gave us where he said, listen, if you want to learn about the logic or how the items are filled up, um, these are the two files that you need to look at. And uh, 
just as Tim was saying, it's, you know, it's code and it's very intricate code in some parts and it branches off into a lot of different directions. So we're, we're not guaranteeing that we're 100% perfectly correct about everything. There might be some sm uh, slight mistakes in there, but, um, yeah, that's a good question. Where do we start? So I guess uh, let's kind of start a little bit with the order of how things even get going when when you first feed uh, your request to generate a randomized link to the past world, so to speak, um, to the to the machine behind everything. So um, what what we're usually starting out with is uh, this randomizer PHP file that basically is there to set up the world that we're going to play in, in a way that uh, corresponds with what mode and what difficulty and what logic and all that stuff that you've chosen on the website. So obviously, you know, uh, as we all know, with the different modes that are there, uh, we, we have different requirements of, of things that need to happen. Uh, do we have overworld glitches allowed or not? Uh, that's going to you know, determine where items can be filled in or where, where they can't be filled in. Uh, do we, are we playing a pedestal goal or are we playing uh, all dungeons? All that kind of stuff factors into that. After after the world is set up, one, one interesting thing, which is, you know, just a little code snip, but I thought it was kind of interesting to see this. Uh, generally, when, when everything starts, uh, the the code checks for pre-collected items, and obviously yeah. you don't have anything pre-collected yet. But what it's doing is it basically gives you three boss heart containers for your three starting hearts. It gives you a single 10 bomb upgrade, so you have a capacity of 10 bombs, and it gives you uh, three 10 arrow upgrades, so you have a capacity of 30 arrows, which, you know, normally you'd assume that's just, you know, your starting state and link to the past. That's how the game starts. That's just what you have. But this is also, that, that also kind of explains uh, when uh, Vitorp is saying, technically your sphere zero items are your boss hearts or your three starting hearts and your arrow and bomb capacity upgrades. Because, you know, those are the first items that you get. You're just not actively collecting them. You just get given them by the game, so to speak. I I saw that too. I was able to parse that from the code. And I thought that was interesting that, mm -hmm. you know, you would think, oh yeah, base game, it's just going to give you that. It, it it feels like maybe, you know, you've also heard some of the developers like VTorp say they had to kind of rebuild this game in some ways. And it's like, they had to rebuild it so that it, you know, it has the ability to give you zero hearts. So they have to start you with three hearts because mm -hmm. um, it's more of a dynamic kind of system. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Then you just also have the chance of just being more modular with everything you can. You know, you can, if you wanted to, you can say, hey, listen, everyone starts with five hearts now, but you can't carry any bombs until you go to the to the upgrade shop in the in Lake Hylia and buy your first bomb upgrade or anything yeah. like that. You could give anyone anything, which is also where, you know, stuff like boot starts or something comes in. That's at a later step, but it's essentially also a pre-collected item. Uh, let's see what else we have here. This uh, I was reading this to my co-host earlier. I think this kind of sums up the file pretty well. It says, fill all empty locations with items using logic from the world. This is achieved by first setting up base portions of the world, then taking the remaining empty locations we, or uh, we order them and try to fill them in order in a way that opens up more locations. 
So you yeah, know that's if a you, note that's direct pulled directly from the code. Yeah, that's just a, a direct quote from in there before everything starts. And uh, I think if you think about what that says, it's basically you know we're we're making the logic here. We're trying to fill all the locations in the world in a way where we can progress through the game and are never soft locked because we need an item that we can't get because it's locked behind another item that we can't get. I, th I think talking about the actual item fill is probably an, an interesting an interesting way to, to continue from here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so another... basically, there's a bunch of stuff that gets randomized, and mm -hmm. one of the steps is the item fill, and it's kind of the most important part, obviously, because uh, it decides what items go where. But before that happens, a lot of other things are randomized. Maybe we can just mention those real quick. Um, sure. So the uh, one of the first things, I want to make sure I get the order of this right. Uh, it, is it crystals first or medallions first? Well, first, the very first thing it does is um, it, uh, it it checks, it sets the shops. I think that's kind of specific to the take any mm -hmm. of retro. It is, yeah. Yeah, and so that doesn't come into play. In so it doesn't really come scenes, into play, right? but, it, you know, if you're playing retro, it would set the shops first. And then it does set the medallions, which is what you were originally asking for. Yeah, it's interesting that that's one of the first steps. And I guess, you know, that's assumed to make sure that you can get the medallions that are going to be required. Mm -hmm. hmm. So, yeah, the medallions and then the crystals or prizes, to be more general about it, pendants, crystals, and um, also what each boss holds. Mm -hmm. Is that Does that actually get filled there before the item fill starts? Well, sort of. It, it places the bosses first, which is another thing that doesn't really come into play unless you, you play a game where it's relevant. One, one example that I'm seeing in the code right here from the start is uh, if you're playing Swordless, uh, they're removing Ice Palace, apparently. Hmm. So it, it's checking, you know, if, if I'm a Swordless Seed, then uh, remove uh, Ice Palace from the boss register. Probably because they need to treat it differently for um, the the little medallion spot that you get when you don't yeah. have a sword. So uh, they're, oh, they're, dude, that's so that's so interesting. So they're removing the original cold stair to then later add the modified cold stair, so to speak. So you you actually have a chance of defeating him because if you drop down there with you know no sword, can't use the medallion, you're kind of and screwed. Oh, yeah. I was wondering why that was there, and I, I eventually just, like, decided not to mention it and wrote it off. So I'm really <laughs> glad that you... <laughs> yeah, because that makes perfect sense. That's really neat. Mm -hmm. See, and a lot of this, I think, is not necessarily going to help people play better, but it's just, like, interesting. Yeah, You know, like, how all this madness works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's definitely yeah. interesting stuff in there, for sure. It's... Uh, even, as you were saying earlier, even if you can't read code, it's... You know, once you kind of get used to the to the verbiage, I want to call it, uh, you kind of understand, oh, okay, this does that. And everything, you know, all the functions that it's calling and everything, they're, they're named rather self-explanatory. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the function that places the bosses in the world is called place bosses. And then in brackets behind it, it's calling, it's called with a parameter world. So you're, you know, it's placing the bosses into the world. 
Right. So it's it's relatively easy to figure out, and there's a lot of interesting stuff like that in there. So I definitely encourage everyone to to um, to you know to go and read it themselves. Yeah. And we'll we'll of course link these two main documents that that Vitorp recommended to us, so that everybody can pour through them themselves. So, mm-hmm. so this world stuff is set first, and then the item fill starts. So, tell us a little bit about this item fill. So, the item fill is, to me at least, the most interesting part of everything because it's responsible for how do I fill items, uh, mostly in the dungeons themselves. So, the item fill itself is kind of split up between the world, the overworld portion. And the, the dungeon item fill, I guess. It all works in, in one big fell swoop, so to speak. But uh, most of this kind of applies to to the dungeons themselves and all the stuff in them. Uh, it, it sometimes... It, it, that's, the, that's kind of the tricky part with this. It sometimes doesn't only apply to the dungeons. For example, if you have stuff like map or compass or key shuffle on and it needs to take those dungeon items that are normally only in the dungeon item pool and kind of place it in the whole world pool. You know, stuff changes around a lot in, in how the item fill treats stuff, but um, let's let's get into how it actually does its thing. So the relevant file for this, I unfortunately don't have open anymore, so I forgot. It's, uh, it's called yeah, Assumed... Uh, random assumed random assumed all right and i do believe that refers to their um way of generating the random numbers to actually you know make everything random uh don't ask me for the details but i think uh assumed random is some way of getting you know the the random number to be as random as possible and not predetermined (laughs) you know the 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 good old uh, PRNG meme and uh, may it live on forever but <laughs> trying to negate stuff like that where you're like alright if I generate 10 seats I can kind of tell where the hotspots are and stuff like that anyways um, so the first thing that the item fill does and which I think is probably uh, kind of you know common sense to a lot of people but it's it's good to actually see it written out like this is it splits all the items that we have available into four different groups. And uh, the first one is are the dungeon items, which, you know, is, as I mentioned, keys, boss keys, um, maps, compasses, everything that you would consider a dungeon item. Mm-hmm. Then the required items. And here is where it starts getting interesting, I think. Um, to, to reference Fantalis' document really shortly, he has it written, like, right on the, uh, on the front page uh, somewhere as a third point. It says... Don't assume that the algorithm knows an item isn't required to to get to Ganon. If an item unlocks locations, the algorithm treats it as required. Yeah, so required items actually are the same every time, even though we wouldn't. Like, you know, some seeds you can do without the fire rod, but maybe Mm -hmm. the fire rod unlocks something that's ultimately useless, but it still unlocks items. Mm -hmm. So it's the fire rod is still marked as a required item by the item fill, even though it's not a required item for us to beat the game. Uh, just to give a, a short little snippet, he uh, Fantalis has a wonderful Appendix A of what the game always considers uh, required. Um, the boots, for example, are required in every single game, if you need them or not. 
the ice rod is one of the items that's probably one of the best examples you know everyone always hopes for turtle rock not being required maybe it's a pendant maybe i don't need to get in there maybe i don't need to kill trinix and find the ice rod as far as the logic is concerned, the ice rod is always a required item. Yeah, and there could be, there is an item on pet. So mm-hmm. in order to get that item, you need, you know, say it was, you know, TR was a pendant. You need that pendant so you can get whatever's pet. Pet mm-hmm. might be trash, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a quote unquote required item so that you can access everything. The only exception to that are certain keys that can lock themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those are the only exception in all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next group are nice items, as they're called in the in the code. Uh, these are helpful things that are nice to have for people, but that are definitely not required. I'm unsure. Let me take a quick look at this. I think silver arrows could be in that list. With advanced, now. I think with advanced logic, that was kind of one of the caveats that they moved that into the nice item requirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the case. And there is you know, a lot of yeah, there's a oh. lot of mentions of bow early in the code mm-hmm. that I took to be like dealing with the fact of progressive bows, how one is needed and one might not be. Yeah, exactly. And of course, you know, with the Fantalis document written with V twenty nine, there weren't progressive bows then, so we have to do a little bit more assuming than than with mm-hmm. some of this other stuff. And then uh, after these, the last group of items are the extra items. Uh, in other parts of the code, they're called trash items. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, they're in the in the code. They're trash, but in Fantalis's document, that's extra. So it's mm-hmm. like he was being more charitable than the developers were about it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> they're they're called uh, extra items in the in the random or in the assumed random file, and they're called mm-hmm. trash items in the randomizer file. So the developers really can't decide themselves apparently if they if they're extra or if they're trash, yeah. and you know it's just your usual suspects: red rupees, green rupees, whatever, single arrow, whatever else you can find yeah. that uh, we all usually consider trash. Yeah, so I did want to double back real quick on these nice items because it's a pretty mm-hmm. short list. Uh, but the nice items include two of the progressive swords, mm-hmm. sanctuary heart, all boss heart containers all progressive armor, and both boomerangs. So mm-hmm. those are our nice items. Yep, those are the nice items. And you would think there'd maybe be more than that, but that's, I mean, those those are all pretty nice. Uh, things like powder, you know, that we think of as like, oh, nice. That is technically a required item because it could open up, you know, because yeah, it Yeah, I originally thought item. it would be a nice item because, you know, powder and stuff like that you think of as, or you often think of as, oh, they're safeties. And you know right. what? What other nice items other than safeties, or what nicer items than safeties are there? But you know, the logic is uh, a lot colder and more machiney than my emotional <laughs> human brain, so it yeah. doesn't care. What about like blue cane or uh, bottles? I think, uh, I think one bottle is absolutely a required item yeah. because for a sick kid. It's interesting that, like, you know, two progressive swords are nice, which implies Mm -hmm. that two progressive swords are required, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it it doesn't seem like they made that same split with bottles, where one is required and three are nice. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a limitation of the code uh, or, you know, because, as you said, progressive swords are distinctive items. 
yeah. but bottles are just bottles. There's no progressive bottle. You know, your bottle doesn't get progressively better. You just get more of them. True. Yeah, the progressive would be a difference between those two examples. So yeah. maybe they just can't differentiate your bottle count really all that well to make it so that one is actually a required item and the others are just nice to have. Um, apparently, if this, you know, if Fantalis's list here of required items is correct, but the Cane of Burna is also uh, a required item, and it does yeah. unlock a few things uh, along with the cape, admittedly, but the logic, again, doesn't care if you have one or the other. They're both required because they both have the potential to unlock, for example, Spike Cave. Spike Cave. I was thinking maybe, uh, maybe it's your only choice to kill blind, which would be kind of crazy, but uh -huh. like that could make it uh, you know, required. Yeah, or the good old uh, Kane of Burna Lanmo fight that yeah. everyone loves. Oh, God. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I guess that, that makes sense as we sort of piece together. So I think, yeah, as you were saying, it's, you know, a lot of things you don't really think about like that. And uh, they actually, from the, the view or for the from the point of view of the logic, they're actually a lot more consequential, I guess, is maybe a good way to put it. Mm. than what would first assume. Yeah. So so we've got our four types of items. Mm -hmm. uh, so what, so after setting up the world stuff, uh, the game goes through, uh, yeah. you know, and we've got all these four classes of items and we need places to put them. Exactly. So now what? So uh, what we do now or what the file does now or the code does now is it gets all the empty locations that we still have left after all that world preparation that we were talking about before. There's a few things that, you know, get placed first or uh, a few other things that get kind of, uh, I guess, reserved is a good way of putting it, where nothing is placed yet, but the game or the logic knows, hey, I need to keep this free because of some other requirement or whatever. And uh, now we have all the leftover empty locations. And what we first do is we fill in our dungeon items. That's the first thing that we're doing. And the reason for that is mainly so key logic can be, um, you know, observed, I guess. Um, so, you know, we all know, especially some certain dungeons have very intricate and weird key logic where it's like, oh, God, how mm -hmm. if I find a key here, then maybe I can go here or the big key must be here or something like that. And uh, the logic <laughs> has a... <laughs> yep. Sorry. And uh, the logic has a little bit of an easier time with it, thanks to being a machine brain again. But um, that's the first thing they have to do, so no other items take up any spots that absolutely need to be free for a small key or the boss key or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you imagine like Desert Palace as, as an easy example, there's six possible item locations to that. There's a map, the compass, small key, big key, and then two items. It mixes around those first four and leaves two blank chests uh, and makes sure, you know, that they're that they'll, they'll come back and fill that in sort of the next step. Yeah, exactly. But before we do anything else, now that we've filled up our dungeons items, uh, including GT, uh, we take a quick detour and fill GT with junk items. Uh, and junk items in this is trash items or uh, what were they called? Extra items? Yeah, extra items. Yeah. So... Um, I don't exactly know the details. You, you can probably, or you can for sure find that in the code as well, but there's, um, depending on which mode you're playing on or which difficulty maybe even, I think it's mostly mode related. Um, GT gets pre-filled with a random number 
uh, of junk items that is between a set minimum and maximum. So say, just as an example, I don't know the exact numbers, but say for an, a normal open 7.7 that we're all used to, uh, the minimum and maximum number of junk items that can be in GT is like 5 and 10. Uh, it'll just, you know, roll the dice, come up with, say, an 8, and then it knows, all right, I have to pre-fill GT with 8 junk items. And that's to um, eliminate uh, a thing that used to happen quite a lot before this was introduced, which was a lot of seeds where you ended up, you know, just kind of YOLOing into GT with your fighter sword, uh, hoping to find your last sword in there. And it oftentimes was just because, you know, the the logic doesn't really treat GT much differently than any, any other dungeon. It obviously knows that you need seven crystals to open it up. So it usually comes very late in all of the considerations for when to put an item there. So it can't really have a whole lot of progression, but it can have and it used to have a lot of items that you still kind of needed, you know, like, like a nice items probably, right? Mm -hmm. a, a lot of nice items and also a lot of stuff where, you know, you didn't have a sword or your hookshot was maybe in GT, you know, you didn't need it at all beforehand and suddenly, bam, uh, there there it is. And, I see. Uh, and that's why this GT junk fill was... Um, was introduced as far as i'm remembering i might be a little off on this but i think that was the main reason it was introduced back in the day yeah that makes perfect sense like put put some junk in there and there's less of a chance that it'll be chock full of uh, required and nice items mm -hmm. so that you have a more so that you don't like end up having a super low percent seed of course anything is possible in rando you know it's it's still possible it's just a little less it's kind of a way to tip the scale and make it a little less likely that it's full of required or or nice items i think that's yeah. really interesting it was it was a little bit tweaked yeah i think that's a really good way of putting it what you just said Tim. just so you know not everything is so top heavy where you have to get through the seed in some way and then suddenly in gt you get all this stuff where you're like oh man this would have been really nice half an hour ago. Yeah, very cool. Uh, including, you know, hard containers and stuff like that. Not even, you know, as you were saying, just nice items. And that's why when you get to GT, you usually are like on your second row of hearts. A lot of times um, they're not all like loaded in there. They're, they had full heart containers are nice items. So mm -hmm. there's less likely, they're less likely of ending up at GT that way. That's yep. very cool. Uh, then after we're done with the GT chunk fill, we do the same, you know, looking up all the leftover empty locations because now we've got all the wild preparation stuff, all the dungeon items and the GT chunk fill. But the trick now is, and I know there's a specific reason for this, but I don't remember what it was, but now what we're doing, we're getting all the leftover empty locations, but we're getting them in reverse. And then it places the items like it placed the dungeon items before. So the item placing part of the thing is exactly the same. The only thing is that the first list works with a in-order list and the second part or the second group of items works with... And it's also the only group of items that works with a reverse list. Gotcha. So I think this the filling of required items is really like the heart and soul of... Mm -hmm. the randomized experience because this kind of determines what kind of day you're going to have with your yeah. seed you know what ends up where is there any more that you know about 
how this process works because obviously, you know, I understand that there is we we've cut down on a lot of the locations by mm-hmm. doing dungeon fill and and GT junk and all that stuff. Um what is the process like to put the items where they can go? Because, I mean, does e- does each item I- – I assume each item has to kind of have its own logic of where it can and can't go. But that has to be dynamic based on how the seed's being built. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the code again here. Yeah. Danti, what do you think of all this? I'm kind of in <laughs> over my head. Because I'm, I'm, I'm – in my profession, I am a I'm involved in IT, but I am a hardware guy and networking guy. I am not so much a coder person. So mm-hmm. my brain just starts spinning when we start yeah. talking about like having to break it down for basic steps. So I'm trying to find some things I can take away from this. Um, I, I'm in that listening mode of I want to take some things away and maybe up my game a little. <laughs> yeah. So the the yeah. thing is this, just to keep this a little shorter. I'm looking at the at the function that fills in the items, and it gets two things when it's called. It gets a list of items that it's supposed to put somewhere. So, you know, I'm assuming one of the four groups of items that it's supposed to put somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it also gets a list of locations, which is that list of empty locations, either in normal order, whatever that may be, or the reverse order. And then it does the following. It goes through every location. If that location that it is currently at has an item already, then it skips it. And uh, if it doesn't, then it puts a random item from that fill items list in there. And that's all it does. Okay. So, but that makes sense that, hmm. like, it takes an item and it goes through the entire list mm-hmm. and says, can I put it here? Yes. Okay. And then it takes another item and it does that same thing again. It says, okay, can I put this item here? Yes. So it's like every single time it's going, it's looking at the rules and the world that exists and saying, can I put this here? Yes. Can I put this here? No. No. Yeah. No, no. The way okay, you I can kind of think of it is maybe in the, like a layer cake in a way mm-hmm. where all the spheres come in again. So it starts out, uh, you know, going through all the locations that are currently still open and is like, all right, these are the locations that I can currently reach with what I have. Can I put one of these items here? Yeah, sure. Okay. That works. That doesn't block me up from anything. And then it goes to the next layer. It's like, all right, now I can reach all these items that I just put there. What does that open up? All right, that expands my list of possible locations to these places. But I have to take out the all the locations where I just put an item. And then it goes through all the locations that it has again and checks if the item works there or if it will be blocked in some logical way that makes the seat unbeatable. And if that works, it puts it there. And, you know, that's all the layers that go through until we're all done with that certain group of items that we're currently placing somewhere. Yeah. And then I see there's one extra line of code here between putting in the required items and then the nice and the extra. It looks like it does another shuffle of everything that's left over before it distributes the nice and the extra items. Yeah, that's what I meant by uh, the required items are the only group of items that gets put that get in, in reverse. a reverse list. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe I can just ask Vtorp straight up. Be like, Probably. look, just one, one question. We saw that the re- required items get put in in reverse order. What's up with that? Mm-hmm. So if I'm able to get an answer, I'll throw that in right here. Tuesday, Timp reporting for duty. So I reached out to Vtorp about this reverse item fill, and he did get back to me, and it turns out it's actually about 
maps and compasses in dungeons. Herf and I threw out several guesses throughout the episode, which I ultimately ended up cutting. And once I spoke with VTorp about this, we found that it was something that was added in V29, it looks like. And he said the answer is so that maps and compasses don't always end up in similar places. And he even provided an example uh, using pod. So I'm going to read that now. He says, if the chosen order of locations was big chest, dark maze bottom, dark maze top, shooter room, etc. We always place the big key first. Okay. So it can't go into big chest. So that location is skipped over. And then big key is placed in the dark maze bottom because that was second on our list that we generated. Then we place keys. Keys can't generally go in dark maze or the big chest. So that is skipped. And then all six keys are placed. Then uh, we place maps and compasses. So we don't accidentally overfill the dungeon and don't have a place to put them. And if you put those in the next available slot, you get one in the big chest and one in dark maze top. Okay, so what happens when we shuffle these slightly, uh, say for instance, now we have like dark maze bottom, big chest, dark maze top, and then shooter room. Well, we get basically the exact same fill, which means these locations that are skipped over multiple times will have a high ratio of maps and compasses in them. But by reversing the order, we start filling these items from the back and they wouldn't have been skipped. So it's the first time the location is looked at for placement. Did you get all that? I had to read it about three or four times before it kind of started to click with me. Uh, so hopefully that explanation made sense. Huge shout outs to Vitor for clearing that up for us. And let's get back to our conversation. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. I'm sure, I, you know, I'm, I know it has a reason and I'm sure I've heard it before. I think Christos was talking about it before at some point, but I really, I don't remember at all. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think we're, I mean, we're gleaning a lot more from this than I, than I'd ever hoped. So I'm, I'm, I'm good with all this. As I mentioned, um, after the required items get put in, it, it unreverses, it looks like, and then it fills in the nice items and then it fills in the trash items. Mm -hmm. And now we're done, I think, right? Everything is, is randomized and placed. Yeah, should be good to go. Everything's filled in. All the bosses are put in place. We figured out which medallions we might need or might not need. In the case of the logic, we'll always need them. Uh, what else? We figured out what starting equipment we might get or not get. Yeah, I think this should be pretty much the end of the generation phase as far as I'm aware. Yeah. So uh, to close out this conversation today, let's, uh, let's try to examine... Uh, takeaways from this. And, and we're going to be looking at Fantalis's document mostly because, again, it's really well written, still relevant today, and it's got a section of best practices and tips that I think is is really, uh, really should be the takeaway from, from all of this discussion. So uh, the idea is, and I'm going to put this in very general terms and maybe we can kind of expand on it. When the seed gives you a lot of required items to do a thing, you might want to think about doing that thing. So as an example, uh, if you in your early seed get mirror, flippers, hammer, and hookshot, not only, you know, basically what the idea here is that the seed is telling you that something required that you need to beat the seed is in swamp that got put that way because of the randomizer. Um, and this is it's it's an important distinction to make of like not only you should do it because you have all the items, uh, but like you should do it because something is there, right? 
Mm-hmm. So, so the and essentially, like what we learned from this fill process and the item fill and what we just talked about is because of the way that it sorts the items, that's kind of the takeaway is that like when when the seed gives you certain items that let you do things, it's telling you that there's a good chance that there it's because there's requirements at at that place that it's kind of leading you to. So do any of you want to kind of expand or sidestep that or whatever and, um, you know, well, talk? Yeah, go ahead. The, the one thing I want to say is that um, we were mentioning uh, earlier that the doc of Fantalis is based on V29, I believe. And yeah. uh, in especially in even earlier versions, and I think maybe up to V29 as well. I'm not really sure anymore, to be honest. Uh, the The term or the the act of reading the logic uh, in the way that you just described it was much more possible as it is now. Obviously, it's not, you know, it's not like a lot of people say, oh, it's not possible at all anymore to read the logic because it's so crazy. I don't think that's quite true because, as you were saying, the item fill and everything is still under certain rules that it can't sidestep or get around just to be able to make a functioning game. And you can still sort of read that in a way that you mentioned earlier, but it's not as clear cut anymore. There used to be, you know, seeds where it was like, all right, I just got the hook shot. So that 100% means I do Swamp Palace now because that's, you know, that's what the logic is telling me. And that it was right like 95% of the time or something like that. Hmm. And uh, I don't think it's quite that easy anymore, uh, which is also why the... Uh, the change in how they generated their RNG seeds was introduced, where they changed from uh, whatever it was before to PRNG or from PRNG to whatever else they did a couple mm-hmm. of versions ago. Uh, that was partly to eliminate those hotspots I was talking about and also partly to make reading the logic a little harder or a little more involved, I guess. Yeah. So I guess that's, you know, with each version that comes out, that's sort of what the developers work towards is a more honest randomization, you think, where it's not necessarily possible to read logic or like, is that is that a byproduct of uh, our humanity in the code or, you know, like we're starting to get yeah. into some pretty heady stuff here. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's hard to hang on in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say. I think it's definitely uh at least partly a goal of the developers as well because you know even if you want to especially if you want to make a randomizer you kind of want it want it to be as unpredictable as possible i guess is maybe a good way of putting it mm-hmm. and if people are able to you know play your one and a half to two hour seed for 15 20 minutes uh, get like five or ten items and they can already kind of glean their way through the seed by reading the logic and where it's pointing them, it's, you know, it's not necessarily boring, but it kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear Dante weigh on on this because that's someone of the three of us who constantly, you know, makes decisions about where to go and is, you know, very fast about finishing these seeds. So Dante, do you consider this at all uh, when you're playing? Or, like, do you think about the logic leading you certain places or what's your take on all this? I mean, yeah, I can give an example of, of that. Um, and th- this is okay. So you mentioned swamp. So this stuck out in my mind. Now, what I'm going to preface this with is 
that doesn't guarantee that this is like a surefire way. This isn't like, you know, a clickbait YouTube video. Do this one thing and you'll win all your rando seeds. Like, that's yeah. not how this is. So, um, my match Wednesday versus Dunka, I we had a very linear breadcrumb trail seed. You know, we were talking about, you know, that document talks about breadcrumbs. Um, mm-hmm. it was, it was like that. It was you, there was no possible chance for variance. And then what I thought about doing was kind of the logically bad play. I had a fully open, fully clearable swamp palace with no glove. And I'm thinking, man, you know, we talked about PRNG a little bit there and I thought, man, I've seen a lot of gloves showing up in Swamp. Uh, maybe I should go there. But no, I had all of North Dark World available to me via the hookshot because I had hammer. Uh, pod was already done. And so I think at that point, Dunka and myself both went the same route. We did Skull Woods. We went into a pendant thieves town and we found a glove there. And then that was the first chance for mainly any variance, honestly. And then I decided, because I had that hunch about Swamp, and it was a crystal, I said, let's just go Swamp. And, you know, we'll see what happens. And honestly, I think that was the make or break point of that seed, because Duncan went to the mountain. Why wouldn't you? It makes a lot of sense to, and I was very tempted by it, because we had full access to the Light World Mountain. There's a ton of items there, versus there's six items in a dungeon that I may not need to full clear. So... I went to Swamp and got a second glove. So I was right about a glove showing up. But I've had that same hunch before. And this gets back to my whole preface thing. I, I've had that hunch before and I get there and then there's there's nothing. So, yeah. you know, it's at most I feel like this information uh, could empower you to make very educated guesses. But... No, by no means is it a surefire way. The only way it's going to be surefire is if you're literally last locationing it, you know? Like, because right. then you have deduced the logic to figure out exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. So I think, you know, in a situation like yours, when you see all of the checks that are there up on Mountain, um, I think people use, like, quantity of checks to inform their decisions when they have kind of two different directions they could go. But I think kind of what we've talked about today and the example you've laid out makes a very strong case for taking a moment to consider that it might not just be about quantity of checks, but quality of checks as well, which is to say that when you consider the way that the item filler works, it could actually be telling you that you need to go to a certain place. Um, And in that example, just to throw that in, like the Mm. mountain was not the wrong choice. It's not like nothing was there. The flute was up there. And that like was, you know, another crucial point of the seed. The only problem was as far as efficiency, uh, the, with the mitts being in skull woods and then I'm sorry, in swamp and then more progression to be in go mode, so to speak as a runner, uh, being on dark mountain, it was more yeah. efficient to do it that way. And that's where I feel like I'm, you know, I got lucky. I made a right call. So, um, you know, th- th- those are the things like you can make educated guesses on that, but also like we had done a ton and I'm talking like breadcrumb, like done a ton. It was either back of thieves before that first glove showed up. It was back of thieves or swamp like one or the other. So, you know, it was kind of just, that was very deduced down. It wasn't like I had a bunch of things and I said, you know what? Screw it. We're doing swamp now. 
you know? So those are, that that's kind of a good and bad example just because of the quantity of checks I had available at the time. But, you know, honestly, it, some people say, how do you decide when to dive ice? Well, if I've got, you know, let, let me throw this example. If I've got mitts, flippers, uh, and, you know, say a sword, because, you know, mm-hmm. obviously... But if I've got mitts, flippers, and I got bombos, and I've already checked to see, uh, you know, what the medallions are, uh, and for Meyer and TR, and neither one of them are bombos, uh, there's a really good chance that bombos is probably needed, and that's that's my opinion on that. But you know, how many times have we seen fire rod and ice? Those, you know, you kind of see examples of that showing up. And I think that's another thing you can kind of read, you know, and sometimes it may be a pendant and then you have to make the difficult decision of, should I actually go in there? And then depending on what you have left, it could be a gutsy call or it could just be, well, you know, I've done most of everything else. This probably is what it is. Yeah. Really good stuff. I want to close this out by just listing a few of these uh, other kind of best practices and tips that Fantalis has listed here and again encourage you to check this out uh, and read through this document it's really it's well written it's it's not like uh it's not like trying to piece through code like we were doing it's it all makes a lot of sense and, and it makes you know fantas makes a really good case for their points um so uh several times they put in the caveat of like uh, good routing is more important than trying to consider stuff like this. Don't go way out of your way if you have a suspicion about something. If you can easily pick up four or five checks, you know, that are nearby to you first. Like, you know, good routing is, is still worth a ton. So, um, you know, consider that. Uh, they also mention, they they say to uh, learn how to apply weights to your finds. Location can be considered, considered hotter to check using a combination of it requiring more items to unlock, those items showing up earlier, the location containing more spots to check. And that's just kind of another way of sort of saying kind of the things that we were just talking about. But yeah. Um, Again, I just I think this whole thing is very fascinating. Not only is there a lot to glean, you know, in terms of your own routing here as we look at big picture stuff, but even just the, you know, intricacies of like this this whole idea of this randomized game is so wild. Getting to see into the, you know, circuits of it, I think is is just super fun to do. So um, we might we might uh, revisit this topic again one day if we have a little bit more <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> But uh, for now, let's let's uh, get into wrapping this up and fetch questions. All right, so uh, I don't think we have any fetch questions. I'll do a refresh real quick just to make sure. But do you guys have any questions for me? Uh, how's your week been? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty good, man. Things are crazy at work. Um, we've got some like change management going on and. We just launched a huge new website, so um, it's been it's been busy and interesting. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, overall, I mean, I, you know, having a job in these times is is I'm just thankful for that. You know. Yeah, sounds so, good. Yeah, what about you guys? Yeah, I've been all right. I already I I actually have two shout outs this week around. Oh, nice. I th- mm-hmm. I think I have two as well. Um, so let's just get into those since it sounds like that's going to take a second. Um, <laughs> But I'll do the, our our quick uh, 
our quick housekeeping first email at gomodepodcast.com we're on twitter at gomodepodcast and join our discord would love to hear some conversation around this randomizer if anyone has any further insights to how all of this works maybe updates of v31 anything we might have missed we'd love to to continue this conversation in our discord um i'm at twitch.tv slash tip underscore herf set twitch.tv slash herfy derfy dante is twitch.tv slash d-a-a-a-n-t-y all right let's get into these shout outs herf tell us tell us what you've got for us all right uh first shout out is a pretty quick one i just wanted to quickly shout out uh, pikmin 3 deluxe that just came out on the switch uh i only got it today i never really got into the pikmin games when they were new back in the day uh, I'm having a ton of fun. It's really nice uh, for anyone who, like me, was um, afraid or scared away by the time limit, quote unquote, that the game has. Uh, it's nearly impossible to hit that time limit. You're, uh, you, you collect um, fruit to make juice, and each juice can uh, is equal to one day of time that you have. And uh, I'm on, on day three or four, and I already have like 11 or 12 juice cans in the store. So time limit, no big deal. Really fun game. Nice. Yeah, I've never played a Pikmin game, um, but they sound fun. I, mm-hmm. I've always It's one of those ones I've just always wanted to try. Uh, have you played Pikmin 1 or 2? Uh, not really. I've played, I've tried both for a short while, but not really, you know, I've never really gotten into them. And people were just gushing about them on and on and on. And I had one of those Nintendo coupons left Hmm. that I wasn't sure what I wanted to spend it on. And uh, Pikmin let me spend it on it. And I figured, hey, why not? I'll give it a shot. And so far, it's been real fun. Nice. We'll we'll come back to you for your second shout out. Dante, what do you have to shout out this week? Well, I already shouted out my friend uh, running in Speed Gaming Live. So uh, I'll just stick to the one here. Um or the one additional one that'll make two. Well, I can math, I promise. So, <laughs> uh, the demo came out for Hyrule Warriors on, mm. you know, the new, like, I guess like crossover between Dynasty mm-hmm. Warriors and Zelda. And I gotta say, uh, I, I like it about as much as I expected to, which is a lot. Um, mm. I'm a big fan of like the, I was a big fan of the Dynasty Warriors games. And, um, then when they put the, the Zelda on it, of course, you know, that's like, you know, slapping a fresh coat of paint on the same old thing. It's like, man, I like this. Uh, the demo alone only has like two main stages and a few, we call them like side stages or, or something. Yeah. But I've literally probably already put about seven hours into it just by leveling up my characters and, you know, trying to get, since the save file will carry over, um, you know, I've, I've looked up videos on how to grind stuff out or like find like special stuff to fully complete the demo 100%. And honestly, I've had a lot of fun playing it. I'm really looking forward to the release later this month. So that's going to be probably sapping sapping up probably 100 plus hours of my time like uh, the, the other one did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, that game, the shots that people are posting look incredible. It looks like another Breath of the Wild game. Yeah, and um, I feel like I'm going to watch a Let's Play probably. There are some, you know complaints about like frame rate dropping and and honestly as much as going on on the screen versus how powerful the switch is like i it's not that i'm saying i'm not trying to be an apologist for it but it's kind of like you yeah, know you are I, I guess i am but at the same time <laughs> it's like you know what i'm having fun and you know could it be better definitely but i'm not gonna let that 
I'm personally not going to let that ruin my experience. I guess, you know, I'm being an apologist, but if, if that's a hang up for you, I mean, I get it because it, it can be kind of annoying. You know, I do really hate the lag mm-hmm. and ALTTP, you know, when we're mm-hmm. <laughs> playing I mean, that. I, I was just, you know, I was just giving you a hard time, obviously, but I'm, I only cut in because my coupon that I still had, the decision was between Pikmin or the new Hyrule Warriors. Yeah. And, I didn't super enjoy the first one, I have to say. I really tried getting into it, but it just got too samey for me. That's fair. And even though I would be extremely curious about the story of this one, because, you know, it's all about the past of Breath of the Wild, basically. Yeah. um, I played the demo, and I really, like, the frame rate was kind of the final nail in the coffin. It really, really chugs along when a lot of stuff is going on. I like, you know, and my, my thing is always... If the frame rate's kind of chuggy, I can probably live with it. But as soon as it starts dropping inputs because it can't keep up, that's yeah. when I'm out. Oh yeah, that's yeah. frustrating. And that, the the age of calamity 100% has that. And uh, you know, I was like, well, I wasn't that hardcore into the first one, and if this one is you know already turning me off of the demo so much, I just you know, I wish I could enjoy it. That's that's all I'm gonna say. I wish I really I really want to like it, but. Meh. Yeah, like I said, I'll probably watch the LP of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did finish Paradise Killer, game I was talking about last time. It's an open-world detective game, sort of in the style of, like, Danganronpa. Uh, and it is weird. Uh, I had a good time with it. I will say um, the investigation was super fun, and then the trial, I kind of wanted a little bit more out of it. But the music is absolutely incredible. It's written by a guy named Barry Topping, who goes by Epoch like the uh, Time Machine from Chrono Trigger. And there's two tracks in particular. It's on Spotify, Paradise Killer soundtrack. Lady Blue absolutely uh, goes so hard. And also uh, Ego 24-7. Go check both those tracks out. I've I've, I've had them on repeat the past week. Um, And then I also wanted to give one quick bonus shout-out to uh, Bill Wirtz on YouTube, who has like millions and millions (laughs) of views. You guys are probably already on this train, but I just found out about him and I'm obsessed. That's also been on repeat the last week for me. Um, he's so weird, but absolute musical genius. Go check him out on YouTube. I'll put a link in the description. Um, Herf, what was your final shout out? So my second shout out goes to Noida. I don't know if either of you know that game. It's mm-hmm. uh, a game on Steam. Noida means uh, witch in Finnish and... Uh, it's um, it's a roguelite set. Uh, so the Steam Store page says Noida is a magical action roguelite set in a world where every pixel is physically simulated, and uh, it's you know it's kind of a two D pixel art side scroller kind of thing. Uh, you play as a witch. Um, start out with a wand, a magic wand, and a potion of some sort, generally water or something. And you're trying to make your way through different biomes deeper and deeper into the caverns of this weird world. And uh, the great thing about this is, A, that every pixel is, as they say, simulated physically. Uh, There's also a lot of, you know, physically accurate interaction. So there'll be uh, a big barrel of oil. And if you kick a torch or a lantern into it and it breaks, it sets the oil on fire, which in turn sets all the wood that's around it on fire. And that sets the enemies on fire. And then eventually what usually happens is that you get set on fire and die horribly. <laughs> and then you have to start a new game. Uh, it's, it's a very hard game. 
but I just it's if you remember that old flash game where you could like drop different kind of sands and gunpowder and stuff into like yeah. a little cube and mess around with that it's yeah. that but in like game a physics form. simulator almost mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and Super it's cool. it's basically that but in game form and despite me never making it through a full run and the game being hard as heck I I, I just can't stop playing it nice yeah I'll have to check that one out uh, all right, I guess let's uh, wrap this up. Um, last thing I wanted to say is we still are looking for reviews. Um, all right, so I want to I want to talk to you, the listener. Let's just have a quick chat. So I know you hear people say this all the time on podcasts and leave us a review, and they, you just like you kind of drown it out. You don't even like really think twice about it. And I know that because <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts and I do the exact same thing. But I just want to try to appeal to you. Uh, personally, I'm reaching out an invitation to you specifically. If you have not left us a review, but you have listened to every episode of this podcast, I implore you to leave us a five-star rating. We're really trying to get to 50 by the end of the year. We're at 46. Our last review was left in August. So I'm starting to wonder if people even still like this show, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's starting to get to me. Uh, help my psyche out. Um, and please consider leaving us five-star review if you are a fan of the show and um i've got that donation button i've got something people can type in for a review okay that worked really well uh one a a couple times we've done it so go ahead all right so it's 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 kind of something you brought up earlier do the fans want to see the hosts play the bi-weekly seeds more often yes or no so you can just put your review saying bws yes or bws no and and no doesn't mean don't play it no means it doesn't make a difference okay so it's not like a negative (laughs) like get out of here this is our territory but uh (laughs) you know you can just say yes if you want to see more hosts play the thing and if we have to we'll just have people uh you know we'll just enter times like we'll get Herf to enter a time even if he doesn't play it and we'll just <laughs> tell him how it went. But uh but yeah, that's what you can do. Just BWS yes, BWS no. Um it's not as funny as, you know, I like the giraffe guy, but <laughs> it, it should do. Yeah. And I mean if you want to use more words in there in between the BWS and the no or the Typing's yes, then... hard. Typing's hard. Let's <laughs> that's cut, fair. That's cut, fair. Cut people yeah. a break. I don't want to overdo it. You're right, you're right. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Go Mode. We will be back in two weeks with episode 61. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Time to mirror out. Bye.